You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. As we are recording this week's show, as we're recording. Tuesday's podcast, they are voting in Minnesota right now in the Minnesota State Senate on their marriage equality bill, which already passed the House and the governor of Minnesota said he will sign that bill if it reaches his desk and fingers crossed and I don't want to jinx it and I'm too Catholic to say it's in the bag but it looks like it very well could maybe possibly be in the bag until I said in the bag and then jinxed it and it didn't happen. But no, it looks like it's going to happen and they are voting right now as we speak. As we record this show on Monday, the day before the show is released. I wish we knew the results as we spoke, but we don't. But it looks good. The pace of change right now on marriage equality is staggering. Rhode Island and Delaware both got marriage equality in the last couple of weeks. Minnesota, if marriage equality comes to Minnesota this week, will be the 12th state to achieve marriage equality in the United States and the third since the Supreme Court heard Oral arguments on the Defense of Marriage Act, the Federal Defense of Marriage Act and California's Proposition 8. The pace of change is staggering and heartening and thrilling. So little is going right, right? This is going very right and it is a little flabbergasting. I remember saying to someone not too long ago that I didn't expect to see marriage equality in the United States in my lifetime. I found it in an op-ed I wrote for the New York Times that I was looking up to find something else and there it was. Me saying not too long ago that this would not happen in my lifetime and it is happening in my lifetime. And what is driving this? What is making this happen? The very thing that the original gay, lesbian, by trans civil rights activists identified as our secret weapon and the thing that would, would change everything, which is just people are fucking out now. People are out to their friends and families and coworkers and colleagues and that changes everything. In Delaware, State Senator Karen Peterson, who has been in a lesbian relationship with a woman, duh, for 24 years, was not out. She came out during the floor debate in the Senate. She said she wasn't sure what she was going to do. She's a very private person. OK. Your relationship is actually kind of public. Nobody says <laughs> straight people should have to hide their husbands and wives to keep their relationship, keep their private lives private. But 24 years she's been with this woman. She's out to her friends and family. People know. But she wasn't publicly out. She wasn't politically out. And she said that before the floor debate, she wasn't sure if she would come out during the floor debate. She was going to listen to what the opposition had to say and make up her mind. And the opposition stood the floor of the Delaware State Senate and lied and said that being gay was a choice, being lesbian was a choice, that it was a sickness, that it was sinful and that gay relationships, same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage somehow imperiled or threatened the relationships of opposite-sex couples, of straight couples. Here's what Delaware State Senator Karen Peterson said as she came out last week. We are what God made us. We do not need to be fixed. We are not broken. And I love this. If my happiness somehow demeans or diminishes your marriage, then you need to work on your marriage. Right fucking on and welcome out, fully out, the rest of the way out to State Senator Karen Peterson. In Nevada, where they're debating repealing that state's ban on same-sex marriage. OK. Let's just pause for a second there. Nevada, 
Las Vegas, where you can get insta-married and insta-divorce, where prostitution is legal. Somehow same-sex marriage is illegal because it's a threat to the sanctity of quickie marriages in roadside wedding chapels performed by busted Elvis impersonators. But anyway, they're debating repealing the ban on same-sex marriage in Nevada and state senator Kelvin Atkinson came out during a debate over repealing that state's ban and said, I am black and I am gay. And this was news to his colleagues and his constituents and it is going to change things. After the governor signed the Marriage Equality Bill last week in Rhode Island, here's what State Senator Donna Nesselbush had to say. She thanked all those who came out before it was safe to do so. Together, she said, we shattered the myths. We changed hearts and minds on this issue one at a time. That is it in a nutshell. That is the success of the LGBT civil rights movement. We still got work to do. We got ENDA to pass. We've got DADT to finish. The repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell was incomplete. It didn't cover trans people. Trans people can serve openly in the military in Canada and Israel and the United Kingdom, not in the United States. We got work to do all over the place, but we are winning and we are winning on the issue that touches on the heart of who we are, which is about love. It's about love. It's about relationships. It's about family and recognizing that we can love, that our relationships are equal to and as valid as the relationships of heterosexuals and that our families deserve the same rights and protections and responsibilities. This cuts to the heart of what our movement has been about from the start. Sorry if I'm ranting a little bit. I'm just – I'm really excited and as I speak to you, I am watching with one eye the debate via live stream in the Minnesota State Senate. Here's you know, one of the ironies about Minnesota really quickly. A couple of years ago when the Republicans controlled the Minnesota legislature, they pushed an anti-gay marriage amendment to Minnesota's state constitution onto the ballot. And they put it on the ballot in 2012, hoping to drive turnout. You know, the same batshit haters who poured into voting booths in 2004 and approved anti-gay marriage amendments in states all over the country, which helped reelect George W. Bush. This was their strategy. They were going to do it again. And you know what happened? Voters in Minnesota rejected that amendment and something partially as a result of the amendment appearing on the ballot, Democrats took back control of both houses of the legislature, Democrat in the governor's mansion. Here's the fruit of your hateful labor, Minnesota anti-gay haters, marriage equality, being the first state in the Midwest to approve it through the legislature. Iowa's got it, but Iowa got it from the Supreme Court ruling in the state of Iowa. Minnesota's going to be the first to get it through the legislature, first to get it the democratic process. Congratulations, haters. Turning to the gall file for just a second, State Representative Peggy Scott, Republican of Andover, Minnesota, said this after marriage equality passed Minnesota House. My heart breaks for Minnesota, she said, crying on the floor of the House, in the State House in Minnesota. This is a divisive issue that divides our state. It's not what we need to be doing at this time. Where were the tears, Representative Scott? When you guys, when the Republicans and the anti-gay quote-unquote family values haters were pushing gay marriage onto the ballot and attempting to divide the state, it was a fine issue for you. You loved gay marriage when it divided the state in your favor. Now it seems to be dividing. The math seems to be working out. The division, the long division, working out in our favor and suddenly boodly hoodly hoo tears running down your face. Representative Scott's heart breaks for Minnesota. She says, you know who my heart breaks for? My heart breaks for the lesbian widow who's thrown out of her own partner's wedding. My heart breaks for the gay widow who loses the house that he shared with his partner for 40 years because an estranged cousin 
thrice removed shows up and has legal claim to it because their relationship isn't recognized under the law. You know, when we talk about same-sex marriage, we get bogged down in these conversations about banquet halls and bakers making cakes and florists. We get caught up in these conversations about the rites and you know the, the ceremony, the party, and that's not where the rubber meets the road. That's not really when it comes to same-sex marriage, where gay or lesbian couples' hearts are broken. It's when they are discriminated against, and the powers and rights of marriage are almost always most important at the worst moments of life, during a medical emergency, after the death of a spouse. That's when the rights. The most important ones really kick in and that's when the most damage is done to same-sex couples. It's not the florist who won't make arrangements for a gay wedding who really hurts a same-sex couple when they're vulnerable. It's a hospital administrator turning the partner away. As we saw recently in one case, having the male spouse of a gay man removed from his partner's room in handcuffs during a medical emergency. That's when hearts break, Representative Scott. But I'll end, I'll end here. We got, a, we got a long show today. We got to get to it. The uh, Tech Savvy at Risk Youth are giving me the shut the fuck up sign already. Democratic Governor Jack Markle, when he signed the same-sex marriage bill into law in Delaware, he said this, I do not intend to make any of you wait one moment longer. For equality. He signed the bill immediately. He went to the state house and signed it in the gallery. I do not intend to make any of you wait one moment longer. We don't have full equality in the United States. We don't. We got a lot to fight for. Like I said, we got ended to pass. We got DADT to complete. We've got the Federal Defense of Marriage Act to overturn. Come on, Supreme Court. But we've come a long way. I don't want to wait a moment longer for my equality. If you're out there listening and you're LGBT and you are not out to your friends, your family, your coworkers, if you're in a position where you can come out, I'm not telling people who are going to be thrown out on the street, please, if you're 15 years old and your parents are batshit fundamentalists, wait. You get a pass. If you're 22 years old, 23 years old, you're out of college, you're not out yet, you don't get a pass. It's time to ovary up and come out. Because every one of us who isn't out is delaying that moment of full equality. You don't want to wait for your full equality? You don't want to wait one moment longer? You don't want to make anyone else wait one moment longer than necessary? Then you got to be out. You just got to be out. You got to come out. You got to tell the truth. You got to open your mouth and tell people, tell the people who love you who you are. It is, as it always has been, the single most important political action that any gay, lesbian, bi, or trans individual can take to be out. To friends, to family, to coworkers. If you have done that, you have paid your dues. Let no one guilt trip you about not volunteering, not phone banking, not giving money, although you should do all those things. But let no one guilt trip you if those things aren't things you can do or don't enjoy doing. Because if you are out, you have done the heavy lifting and you've brought that moment closer, that moment of full equality. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. I am a 29-year-old bisexual female. I am married to a straight male. We are very happy together. We're best friends. We have a very exciting, fulfilling sex life. We're very adventurous. We have been since the beginning, and we fully intend to carry that adventurous spirit into our marriage. Um, given that I'm bisexual, we've experimented with three ways, but it's always been with a woman. 
Um, but lately, I guess over the past year or so, he's been really interested in the idea of bringing another guy in. Not necessarily for him, um, because he is straight, but he's very into the idea of this blood wife kind of scenario. Uh, from what I gather, it's sort of like a cuckolding scenario without the humiliation aspect. Um, but most of the porn and the fantasies that he has about it, a man comes in and kind of uh, has sex with the wife, doesn't interact with the man, but it's sort of like a way to dominate the wife in a way, um, which I, I, you know, I really don't have a problem with. I think it's pretty hot. And we certainly enjoy watching that kind of porn together and fantasizing about it together. Um, but I'm worried about taking that step and actually making it a reality um, because of something that happened to him uh, several years ago. The backstory is he was married, um, and two weeks after they got married, his wife left him for another man. And I guess in the falling out of all that uh, awful scenario, he found out actually that while she was dating him for the two and a half years and during their engagement, she was cheating on him the whole time. So he, he was just devastated by that. I personally think it kind of traumatized him in a way. Um, and I, I'm really worried about if we bring another guy into our sex life, if that's going to trigger something for him. In fantasy, it's fine, but I really don't want to hurt him. I want us to have fun, and I certainly don't want to trigger anything uh, painful for him. So uh, what do you think? Is this something that, given his past experience, we should keep firmly in fantasy land and we should not really try it in reality? I don't know if I'm towing a very dangerous line here and maybe... Maybe I shouldn't even go there just for fear of hurting him. Here's what I think. I think it's true that some people will eroticize traumatic sexual experiences. There are some people out there who, forgive me, have been you know sexually assaulted who then later in life sort of you know the erotic imagination takes that horrible experiences and really takes control of it by transforming it into an erotic fetish fantasy scenario. That involves consent, you know, doing consensual, you know, dom sub play, whatever flavor it is that turns you on. Uh, the sub is really in charge, right? So even somebody who's reliving a traumatic experience that has been processed through erotic imagination, they're reliving it in a controlled setting, in a controlled environment where it's not happening to them. They are making it happen and they can stop it at any time. Maybe that's what's up with your husband. Maybe he's into this because – some part of his erotic imagination seized on the trauma of having been violated by his ex-wife the way that he was, having been cheated on. And now he fantasizes about this but in a controlled and in some ways a controlling way. You know, People talk about cuckolding. They talk about hot wifing. I think you said slut wifing but hot wifing is what it's, it goes by as you know, the man is being cheated on and wronged but it's almost always the man who prompts these things, who want these things and in a way, it's the man kind of controlling the wife in a scenario where it looks like he's not controlling the wife. Usually, the wife has to be kind of led to this, talked into it. Uh, she's doing it for him. Sometimes it takes off and she really loves it and she's really into it uh, but most people who get into cuckolding, most couples who get into cuckolding, it's the husband who raises – the idea of cuckolding fantasy scenarios and it can only happen in this very controlled way. I have a letter actually from a woman whose husband was totally into cuckolding and got her into cuckolding and it came out when they were dirty talking about him literally asking, have you ever cheated on me? And once when they were broken up and they were not together, 
briefly she had had sex with somebody else and didn't tell him about it for years and now he can't forgive her for that. He's so angry because he wasn't in control of that cheating that happened technically when they weren't even together. So it wasn't even cheating. So cheating and her cheating on him was all good with this guy so long as he was in charge of it. So long as he was making it happen, so long as she kind of had no agency. So despite the fact that from the outside, cuckolding often looks like the wife is in charge, the wife is calling the shots, uh, sometimes the way it plays out in some relationships, the cuckold is really the dom in a way. So I don't know what's up with your husband. Every, you should just play your call for your husband. Let him listen and then let him explain and talk. It could be that you know, take spanking. Some people say, oh, I'm into spanking because I was spanked as a child. And some people say, oh, I'm into spanking because I wasn't spanked as a child. Uh, you know, I used to hear about kids getting spanked and it kind of like freaked me out and it was very titillating. Ah, so I'm into spanking now as an adult because I wasn't spanked. And somebody who was spanked was like, it was so weird and uh, and I'm into spanking now as an adult because I got spanked as a kid. Maybe he's into this shit because he was cheated on and maybe his having been cheated on has nothing to do with it. Maybe he's just into it. Ask him. But no, going into this, there have there are a lot of cases. And I get a lot of letters from people where the couple, uh, almost invariably at the husband's instigation, wanted to do hot wifing or cuckolding. Uh, he was really into it and really fantasized about it. And the actual experience, the reality of watching your girlfriend or your wife for the guy have sex with another man was shattering, and it kind of derailed the relationship. That actually going through with this wasn't something that they should have done but they didn't realize they shouldn't go through with it until they had gone through with it. So how do you control for that? Baby fucking steps. Maybe the first time, if you keep talking this out and you get a sense that this is something he wants to do, it's coming from a healthy place of fantasy and desire, even if what inspired it was that trauma, that can happen. The erotic imagination can take a traumatic experience and make – Bonerade out of the lemons of a traumatic experience. Really can. If you feel like it's coming from a healthy place, even if it's tied to that trauma of having been cheated on and you want to do it, you want to take this step. The first time you get together with another guy, it's just a makeout session with your husband there. Maybe then if that goes well, you have a couple more makeout sessions with that guy where you roll around or you have kind of a, a three-way-ish scenario playing and then maybe it's just oral. Maybe you reserve – Penis and vagina, which for a lot of straight couples is, you know, the er sex act, the defining sex act. Maybe you reserve that for your husband for now, maybe for a while, and do everything else with that other guy. And then if that's cool and your husband's totally into it and everything's going great and you've taken all these baby steps and you're both really comfortable, maybe then you can cross that Rubicon and do penis and vagina in front of him in a hot wife or cuckold scenario and it will hopefully go well. Usually when I get letters from people who went and wanted to try cuckolding and it went disastrously wrong, it's because that first time they were both so excited about realizing all of their cuckolding fantasies that they really did everything. They ran the table on cuckolding. They did you know, penis and vagina, oral, rolling around. The wife got really into it and once the ball got rolling, there was no way to slow it down and too much, too fast, too soon in that scenario is what traumatized those couples. So don't do too much. Don't go too fast and don't do it too soon. Baby steps. Take it slow. Hi, Dan. I'm 28 years old. I'm married to a wonderful man that I love very much and I've been with for four years and we've been really happy um, in our marriage together up until about a year and a half ago when I told him that 
I was ready to be open about being bisexual. And I told him before we got married that I was bi, but uh, that I'd hooked up with girls before, but I hadn't really dated anyone. And um, I told him that I thought that I would be really into dating girls. And he was upset at first and said that he wanted to be able to hook up with girls too. But he said he was okay with that. And so I told him that he could, and he told me that I could. And I had a few experiences on my own, and we hooked up with somebody together. Um, and it was all a really positive experience. But he hasn't really thought about hooking up with girls on his own, and that's fine with me. But about six months ago, I started working with a male coworker, and um, the first time I met him, I told you know I thought he was kind of cute. So when I came home, I told my husband that a cute guy had started working there, and we kind of started having this sexual fantasy about him and how hot it would be if um, he came over and fucked us both, and my husband blew him, and he'd kind of been curious about hooking up with guys before, but. He seemed into the fact that I was kind of attracted to this person, so we kind of made it our little sexual fantasy, and um, we brought it into kind of role-playing and a lot of little kinky things that we were doing um, all the time, kind of sexualizing my friend and coworker, um, which I was pretty good at compartmentalizing. I had like a few moments when I was with him that I thought about it, but for the most part, I knew that I was attracted to him, but that I wasn't, you know, in an open relationship where I could date guys. So I was okay with just getting turned on by him, but not acting on it. And I didn't feel like I was at risk of that or anything. But after a month of having those fantasies with my husband, he seemed pretty upset by it. And so we decided to stop doing it. And so we stopped and we don't talk about him in that way anymore. Um, but I continue to hang out with my coworker, and he's my friend. I work for a really small company, and there's just a few of us, and we hang out and after hours, always with other people in, like, social spaces, never alone or anything. Um, but my husband is continually jealous and asks me questions about it all the time and keeps telling me that he's upset by it and that, you know, he's worried and jealous and um, he's taken it so far as to tell me that he wants to move out because he's so upset by the fact that I spend time with this person because every time I bring him up, he remembers that we have these fantasies and it makes him really uncomfortable. The fantasies were both of our idea and I've let go of it, but I don't know if he can. And I guess what I'm asking is, what should I do? Should I accept the fact that my husband can't let go of this? Should I try to encourage him to seek help so that we can let go of this jealousy? Or is he just a person who's not okay with me? having relationships with anyone that we remotely talk about in fantasy. So in my response to the previous caller, I mentioned that there are people who realize a cuckolding fantasy go too far too fast too soon and it shatters them and it can really destabilize a relationship or even a marriage. And here we are and your problem is not that you realized the cuckolding fantasy, just that you shared one and he was into it and you were into it and you fantasized about it and – Somehow that has really flipped your husband and disturbed him. Um, you do need to ask him to speak with somebody about this and to get into counseling about this. And you do need to give him a little bit of a concession. You do need to really limit the time that you spend out of deference to your husband's feelings at this moment. Uh, you need to limit the amount of time you spend with your coworker outside of work. And that might mean not hanging out as often after work with – your colleagues uh, as you do now and just chalk it up to a small sacrifice you're going to make for the greater good of perhaps saving your marriage to this guy who you've gotten along with great. You had a lot of sexual adventures together. It's been a really good and fulfilling relationship but somehow you stomped a nerve, the both of you together 
Um, and he can't blame you for this. He was an active participant. You said we had these fantasies. He had these fantasies. You guys were cranking each other up and cooking them up together. But something about them triggered some insecurity freak out on your husband's part. Maybe it's that you know he worries where all this is ultimately going. You know, you were bi and you were out to him about being bi and good for you before you got married. Then and you hadn't acted on it and you, you were presumably monogamous at first in your marriage and then you asked if you could act on it and he gave you that pass to sleep with women and then suddenly you say that there's this guy and that becomes fuel for these fantasies that you guys share and maybe he just feels like you've walked up to this ledge and he's staring out in a, at an abyss and is freaked out at you know where you two are ultimately headed sexually, what your relationship is and what it also could mean to him. Sexually, you started fantasizing about what can be for some guys dangerous stuff, you know, self-image altering shit about same-sex male-on-male contact, and maybe that flipped him. Who knows? He needs to talk about it with a therapist, uh, perhaps with you there and a couples counselor. It could be that he's trying to restore his sense of security and masculinity by punching you in the face figuratively, not literally, over and over again by punishing you for these fantasies that you guys share, punishing you for what you drew out of him, what was already there but what you know, your sexual journey kind of instigated between you, you know, what it forced him to face up to about himself. And maybe that could end your marriage. It doesn't have to. Hopefully he values your marriage enough to go see a counselor. Hopefully you value your marriage enough to limit your contact with this guy for the time being until your husband is in a better and more secure place about what he means. You know, this guy, this fantasy figure for you is a real human being with this one dimension of like I'd love to fuck the shit out of that guy and this other dimension of he's a good coworker and he's a nice guy and he's a friend now because we spent a lot of time together. For your husband, he's just an abstraction. For your husband, he's a symbol of the risks and dangers uh, of the trajectory of your sex life to him, what feels like risks and dangers, and also perhaps he's a symbol of you know an undermining of his heterosexual identity. So he's latched onto this guy as a symbol, and he can't see this guy as a three-dimensional human being. He can't compartmentalize what this guy meant sexually in that one aspect of him and the other parts of him that are you are still in relationship with colleague, friend. So for your husband, for right now, limit colleague, friend interactions with him as much as you possibly can. Make sure your husband knows that you're doing that. Don't put up with paranoia. Don't put up with being persecuted by your husband about the relationship you have to have with this guy. But demonstrate that you've limited your contact with the guy out of deference to your husband's current feelings about the guy and in exchange for that consideration and deference, he needs to go to speak to a couples counselor. You two together need to go speak to a sex-positive couples counselor. And to find that sex-positive couples counselor, the place to start is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors and Therapists, AASECT.org, uh, where you will find references and referrals and professionals who can counsel you and your husband, not shame you and your husband. The last thing your husband needs right now is more shame. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 30-year-old woman currently living in the Midwest. Um, I'm calling because one of my best friends from high school recently got married to her girlfriend, and I'm very happy for them. Um, but there's two little things that concern me. One, this friend from high school for a very long time identified as straight and then bi, and uh, she lived with a man and was engaged for four years. 
and her current wife does not know this. I find it slightly disturbing that she doesn't have or doesn't feel that she has an open enough relationship with her wife to tell her wife her past life. What helped transform her to realize that she was a lesbian was uh, she was not happy with her fiancé. She was very overweight and uh, she decided to get healthy. She lost, I think at this point, almost 100 pounds and came out as a lesbian and has been very happy ever since. But uh, I'm not going to say anything to her wife. I'm happy for them. I'm glad they're happy. My main concern is they're having a reception uh, for all their friends at their favorite bar this summer. And uh, I'm very excited to go. And uh, I asked them, well, I know you weren't doing anything traditional. You're not wearing dresses. You're not having a ceremony that's public to your friends. Um, But are you at least having a cake? And she said, no, we're not having a cake. Now, what kind of a party is it if there is no cake? Um, I offered to bring a cake, and she declined. She said, no, there's not going to be enough room at the bar. I think it would be rude. Do you think it would be rude for me to bring cupcakes? You know, I'm fine with everything else in her life, relationship, marriage. She can do what she wants. But if there's a party, shouldn't there be cake? I'm fine with everything else in my friend's life. But my friend who was miserable and obese and recently lost 100 pounds, I'm fine with everything except the fact that she doesn't want me to bring cake to her party and stuff it down her throat. Maybe she doesn't want cake at her party because she's doing her best to avoid triggering foods that sent her into eating frenzies in the past. She just doesn't want any fucking cake. It's her goddamn party. She doesn't want any fucking cake. She's asked you explicitly not to bring any fucking cake. So don't bring any fucking cake. If you must have cake, buy a cupcake and stuff it in your mouth before you walk through the door of the bar. Then you'll have cake in your guts at her party if you must have cake. Seems to me that you're attempting in some weird way to control your friend or you have some anger issues about your friend and it's all kind of fixating on cake. And I can understand fixating on cake. There's actually a piece of cake in front of me right now. Cake is my friend. Cake goes where I go. I wouldn't go to a wedding if there wasn't cake. Cake is why you go to weddings. But it's people who are having their own wedding receptions get to decide for themselves what they're going to serve or not serve or what their party is going to look like or not look like. That said, she's your BF from high school. It sounds like you guys aren't too terribly – you know, you're adults now. It sounds like you're not that close. I don't know if you can know for sure. I hope you don't know for sure that she's deceiving her wife about her past as a straight identified lady. Most lesbians are aware of the fact that most other lesbians at certain points in their life probably did identify as straight at some point. I identified as straight at one point and bisexual and had sex with girls. Um, I can't imagine that your friend's wife would be that much of a stickler about someone's coming out process that she would discard her love, the love of her life over a little bit of heterosexually identified confusion earlier on. And I'm hoping that your friend's wife knows. You just don't know that she knows. But if you're not close to your friend, like in her immediate circle – If you're not in regular contact with her wife, she's not really asking. You're not in a position where you're being required to lie, dissemble, hide anything from your friend's wife. So that falls into the none of my fucking business file. If you were more immediately involved in their social circle, if you were friends with 
your friend's wife, if you saw them all the time and you had this past knowledge and you were required to button your lip whenever the ex came up, the fiancé came up, her previous life came up, then you could go to your friend and say, listen, you have to be honest with your wife about the fact that you were in a four-year relationship with a dude. She's going to find out sooner or later. Tell her. But doesn't sound like you're in that kind of position. So you should just shut the fuck up, stuff it in the not my business file and drop the fucking cake bullshit. Here's the thing about queers and our weddings. We get to write our own rules because we're queers having weddings and we can have cake or we cannot have cake. Maybe she doesn't want to have cake at her wedding because it rhymes with cock. And she's off the cock and the cake too. And you should respect that. Hi, Dan. I'm 27, uh, gay from um, Portland, Oregon, actually. So I'm in an interesting situation. I met a guy um, on one of those apps that's not really for dating, but it ended up that we had a connection. Um, we were only supposed to be friends with benefits, but it just clicked like it does sometimes. Like you said, that you and Terry clicked, even though it was only supposed to be a one-night stand. The thing is, I'm very much more monogamous than he is. I'm not pure monogamous, as I think I would be okay with an open relationship eventually. But I think there needs to be trust there. And he wants an open relationship right off the bat. And this has caused some problems. And we recently broke up for about a week because he couldn't handle the relationship word, even though I've explained to him that friends with benefits in the relationship and even though he said some things and I've said some things and it's only been two months, um, he felt that we were moving too quickly. Today we talked after about a week and we decided that we wanted to try and give it a shot and he's saying, you know, he's never felt this way about anybody and he, he realizes he fucked things up by telling me not to feel what I was feeling for him. The thing is, though, right now he's at a bathhouse fucking one of his regular fuck buddies, which they already have plans before we talk, and so I'm respecting that. I don't know how to get across that he needs to understand my feelings about open relationships, at least right from the start, open relationships, instead of just expecting me to compromise everything. And that was one of our big issues before we took a break was that he was making me compromise everything and he wasn't willing to compromise. I'm going to go talk to him tonight and I have a list of things that I would like him to compromise on and I'm willing to sacrifice a few just like I need to compromise with him. But I'm wondering if I should just dump the motherfucker and just move on or should I acknowledge that there's feelings there because he's acknowledging there's feelings there and try to work this out. So you already had the convo with him with your little list of things that he should compromise on and you might be willing to compromise on. How did that go? Um, it went okay. Um, we're back together. I told him that, you know, I'm willing to compromise on my beliefs about an open relationship right from the start. If he's willing to compromise that or acknowledge that one that I exist because he was kind of not telling people he was oh with me. God, really? <laughs> um, he was just saying that he was with a friend. You know, you know, acknowledgement of existence is setting the bar pretty low when it comes to yeah. <laughs> demands in a relationship. 
Well, and this week, this past week, he's proven that he is acknowledging me. Like, he's been telling people that I'm his boyfriend. And that you exist. Yeah, that I exist. Um, And then I also said, you know, you have to acknowledge that I have emotions. (laughs) And, like, I can't help it. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, you know, he said he totally fucked up. Okay. Um, Okay, go on. (laughs) And then he also said that, um, or I said he has to acknowledge that I need reassurance, um, at least at the beginning. Reassurance around what? Um, that when he goes to fool around with other people, that it's just that and it's not emotional. Okay, so what he's getting in this grand compromise, this Treaty of Versailles that you two have hammered out, is <laughs> he has to acknowledge your existence. He has to acknowledge that you have feelings, which you would think he would know going into any human interaction, even with a stranger on a bus, that other human beings have these things <laughs> called feelings, just like you do. And in exchange for those two concessions, he can do whatever the fuck he wants with whoever the fuck he wants, whenever the fuck he wants. Well, not exactly. Um, we we set boundaries for that. And what but what 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 are those boundaries that you've set? Well, one that he has to tell me beforehand. Two that he can't just cancel on me to go do something with someone else because that's a big deal for me, and he's never had that in any of his other relationships. So his other relationships, they're just like, oh, can you leave for a couple hours? How old is this guy? He's 26. I'm 27. Listen, I'm Mr. Non-Monogamy and have an open relationship. All that fucking said, you know, yeah. when I met Terry, uh, I had I had sworn on a stack of Bibles that I would never be in a monogamous relationship ever again because I'd been in one for five years and um, I had cheated a lot and in the end he cheated a little but he had every right to and it just was, it didn't work for me. And I just said if I ever meet – you know, when I meet a guy, I'm just like – out of the first thing out of my mouth is I'm not into monogamy. And I met Terry and the first thing out of my mouth was I'm not into monogamy and the first thing, second thing, first thing out of his mouth was that I'm not going to date you. And then I was like, OK, I'm into monogamy. For you, I'll be into monogamy. We were monogamous for like five or six years yeah. before things opened up. And so you know, I'm in your boyfriend's position. Like I wasn't into monogamy. I wasn't into fucking people in bathhouses, I have to say, or treating people poorly. And I wasn't an inconsiderate asshole, but I wasn't into monogamy yeah. like your boyfriend. And I was willing to do that for this guy that I really liked so much. And then I didn't spend five years chipping away at Terry until he was non-monogamous. Terry actually is the one who initiated uh, us being non-monogamous on his own time schedule and because it's what he wanted, right? And then I was like, fucking A, Yahtzee. But I was willing to do that to be with him because it was – because being with him was so great. And I I have to say that the successful long-term gay male couples that I know who are in open relationships, that there was a period at the start almost invariably of – effortless and mutually agreeable monogamy where they behaved monogamously even if they ultimately weren't that monogamous or interested in monogamy over the long term. There was just this kind of joyful honeymoon period of at least six months, a couple of years, sometimes longer where the only people they wanted to fuck were each other. Well, and that's what I, I – we were joking around one day before we had our big fight and he was like, we were sexting and he was like, well – I'll do anything you want me to do. And I said, jokingly, I said, does that include monogamy? Mm-hmm. And he said he would try. Well, what ended up happening is we had a discussion. I was like, could you try for a month? 
you know, I was trying to negotiate terms on it uh-huh. because I get it. Some people aren't always built that way. Right. Which brings me to my, the point I was calling you to make. That yeah. You guys clicked and that's great. But there's kind yeah. of this click fallacy, this click sort of misconception that people have that if you meet someone with whom you click emotionally, maybe even sexually, that you know, kind of feels great um, and you really like connect – and there's some big issue that is a huge disconnect. You can click with someone that you are fundamentally and fatally sexually incompatible with. Just because you click with somebody doesn't mean you have to you know, shit can everything you want, rethink everything that you wanted, all your values. Um, you, there's a point at which you have to acknowledge that you may click with somebody that you're not supposed to be with and don't think because I clicked with this person that there's no one else out there on earth that I'll ever click with. So I have to compromise, settle – Give, 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 give because, oh my god, I clicked with this person and if you know if I leave this person, then I've left the person with whom I clicked and there's no more clicks out there. There are other clicks out there. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I also said contradicting myself, nobody gets everything they want and there's no settling down without settling for and we all have to compromise and give a little. But <laughs> monogamy and non-monogamy are like children and no children in a relationship. It's huge and there really isn't – uh, you know, there's monogamish, which is you know a little leeway around the edges, but they're really you know you're monogamous or you're not. You have children right. or you don't. You don't have a little child, a little bit of a kid. You don't have like kind of have children. <laughs> you can't be parent-ish the way you can be monogamish. Yeah. And so if you can't agree on whether you're gonna have children or not, whether you're gonna be monogamous or not, you might not be suited for each other. And maybe your feelings about monogamy will change. When when Terry was your age, he was Mister Monogamy, and he changed. So maybe it will change for you but at least what you need to see from him is some willingness to not ditch you to go fuck some dude in a bathhouse when you guys are just at the very outset of your relationship and figuring out who you are to each other and what you mean to each other. That's that's shitty, selfish, gay dudes thinking with their dicks behavior. I wish I could be like that. Well, I, I'm glad you're not. There are too many gay men who are like that. That's <laughs> prioritizing dicks and holes over relationships and feelings. And I love dick and I love hole. But yeah. you need to prioritize your relationships. And if you guys are in a relationship, he needs to prioritize you and your feelings and you as a couple and what you are over, oh, I have this opportunity to stuff my dick in some fuck buddy's asshole in a bathhouse. So I'll see ya. That's not how you yeah. treat a boyfriend. That's how you treat. Well, that's I, how you treat your very special fuck buddy. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I give him a little bit of credit. We weren't together at that point, and I did stuff last week without when we were apart that with other people. But like when he we got back together, he said when he was with other people, all he could think about was me. And I don't. I want to believe him, and I did the same. I felt I just thought about him. Great. But, so you guys, you guys are on that journey where you're going to have to figure out what you're both going to settle for. And I think despite being Mr. Non-Monogamy, right, Captain Non-Monogamy, I think you should insist on six months or a year of just each other and then let's feel this non-monogamous shit out together. But what about group? What about group stuff, though? It's really funny. There's all these studies of gay male couples uh, and gay male <laughs> couples who identify as monogamous, and the researchers sit down with them, and say, "Oh, you guys are monogamous," and then they find out these couples have three ways. Yeah, and they and they're like the researchers are like, "You're not monogamous." They're like, "Oh yeah, we are. We only have three ways together. That's totally monogamy." 
So maybe you guys can like fuck other people together and it can be fuel on your fire and part of how you are not monogamous. Um, that's often – for a lot of gay couples, that is how they are not monogamous. They will have the occasional very special guest star. Yeah. Uh, but at least now, stand your fucking ground. Ask for more than telling friends that you are that, – that he has a boyfriend. Not a lot to ask when he has a boyfriend and you're that boyfriend and acknowledging that you have – that other human beings have feelings – yeah. At least leverage that acknowledgement to the benefit of all mankind if that's what you're – the only thing you're going to ask of him. Not just to acknowledge that you, his boyfriend, have feelings but all other human beings besides him have feelings. And he needs to take those feelings into account as he moves through the world doing what he wants to do. <laughs> you know what's funny is I turned him on to this podcast and he's going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I actually told him – I told him last night you were going to call me. And he was like, oh, you know he's going to tell you to dump me. <laughs> I'm not telling – I am not telling you to dump him. The conflict at the start of your relationship, you two have just met. This conflict, it is the same conflict that Terry and I had at the beginning of our relationship and 18 plus years later we are still together. I am not telling right. you to break up with him. So boyfriend, if you're listening, I am not telling your boyfriend, a human being with feelings like me and all other human beings, a human being with feelings, to dump you. I am telling him to demand more from you at the outset. And I get it. Like one of the great parts about being gay is that you can get laid anytime you want and have as much sex as you want, particularly when you're 26, 27. But that's also one of the bad parts about being gay because that yeah. that ease of availability, that access to the, the sexual smorgasbord can really damage you and really damage your relationships. Yeah. You have to make small sacrifices to, to, to make a relationship work. And we as gay men, all three of us, you, me, your boyfriend if he's listening, as I often say, we need as gay men to have less sex than we can. And straight people who are listening need to have more sex than they do. And somewhere there's a balance. Yeah. But so you take six months to a year. Six months valid. to a year of of it's me, honey. And maybe maybe after six months of demonstrating to me that, you know, I'm that important and you know, allowing our sexual connection to really solidify and get stronger and stronger, maybe then we could have a couple three ways. And it doesn't sound like you're opposed to that. No, it's, I want to. But if he wants a boyfriend, if he wants a relationship and you want a relationship with him, then you need to prioritize the establishment of that bond, that partner bond before you introduce the potentially destabilizing other people thing and sex with others thing, which is potentially destabilizing, especially early on. Yeah. And if in the honeymoon phase he can't prioritize your dick and your halls over rando dick and halls, maybe he doesn't feel as strongly about you as you feel about him. That's true. That's why I've been thinking. But And then don't think that there aren't other guys out there that you'll click with because there are. And don't let him psych you into believing, psych you out into believing that there aren't other guys out there that you'll click with. Oh, no. He, he doesn't do that. So. Okay. Yeah. But I'm not saying you should dump him. Boyfriend, please don't drive up to Seattle <laughs> and kick my ass. I'm not saying that you should dump him because <laughs> that would be like telling Terry 18 years ago he should dump me. Well, I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks. Hi, Dan. I am a 21-year-old recently graduated student in the Midwest. I'm just calling with a question about love and living together. So I just graduated, and I didn't know if I was going to be sticking around in the college town where I grew up and went to school. So I am currently unsigned. Uh, I don't have a lease anywhere, and I'm kind of looking for somewhere to live after graduation. And in my college town, everything tends to be 
taken by March or so. We're in May right now, and there's not a lot left. And all of my friends have uh, their housing situation set up and their houses and their roommates. And so I'm just kind of free-floating. And I've been seeing this guy for a year. Uh, it's really great. I love him a lot. And it's been really nice. And he mentioned about two days ago that he would be interested in becoming roommates. I think we both understand that we both have a need for large amounts of personal space. Uh, I'm a very private person. Um, he doesn't love art, so he needs a lot of personal space to set up his studio. So we have discussed becoming roommates. Now, I'm totally uh, emotionally great with this. I think, I think it would be fantastic. I think I would have a great time. But I would have a question for you, what your opinion is about how to negotiate having a roommate who you're romantically attached to and uh, potentially, in your opinion, if you think that if we happen to break up and we're still living together, that we could still negotiate the roommate's situation. Or, in your opinion, if you're romantically attached to someone, can you really be roommates? What's the worst that could happen? You move in and it doesn't work. You can't give each other the space that you need. One of you gets too attached. You know, you're too on top of each other. What worked about your relationship in part was the space and the distance that you enjoyed. And then the coming together was awesome because you weren't together all the time. If that, if that is the worst that happens, then you move the fuck out. But something great could happen. You guys could be totally compatible. You guys could totally get each other, have easier access to each other's holes and dicks and pussies and tits and it will be great. Don't be such a coward. You're young. This is the time of life where you do stupid things like move in with somebody because financial circumstances or school demands it and sort of throws you together for a while. He's inviting you to come and live with him. He's being nice and, and welcoming you into his house and taking a little bit of a chance. Take a little bit of a chance in return and move the fuck in with him and say what you said to me, to him about both of you needing space and – Make a conscious effort to give each other the space that you need so you don't spoil it. You don't spoil the sexual connection and the thing that you've got going and you don't spoil the roommate scenario that you'll have set up once you're in there. Do it. Move the fuck in. Stop wringing your hands. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 27-year-old female living on the East Coast and um, um, heterosexual female. Um, my question involves lubricant and my boyfriend. I've been with my boyfriend about three years now and the sex is great. Um, but I have trouble getting wet. Um, it's just, I've always been that way. And to sort of help it along, I've always sort of put lubricant on as we're getting into things and he's about to penetrate me. Um, the problem is, is that when I do that, he loses his erection. He sort of, I think, takes it as a personal affront that he can't get me wet on his own. And I've explained to him that it's not him. It's just the way my body works. Um, how can I sort of mitigate that? sort of his, his lack of confidence in my need for lube because sex is way better when I can get wet. Debbie Herbenick is a research scientist at Indiana University, a sexual health educator at the Kinsey Institute, the author of five books. Her latest book is Sex Made Easy. She has a new online initiative up and running, which we'll talk about in a minute. And Debbie is our regular guest expert on all things vaginal. Thank you for jumping on the phone with us today, Debbie. Thanks for having me. So trouble getting wet, how common is that? You know, it's pretty common. About one-third of women in the United States have some difficulties with lubrication when they have sex. So mm -hmm. it's even more common than vaginal pain. 
So what should this woman do? I love how she phrases her question at the end. How can she mitigate his lack of confidence when she busts out the lube? I think she should get a lube bottle and punch him in the face with it and say this is just the deal. I need this. I require this. You can fuck me with lube or you can't fuck me at all. Get over it. What's your more sensitive advice? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's kind of aggressive and, you know, different strokes. But, um, I mean, I do. I think this is, you know, more about like a relationship dynamic than about her vagina or her lube. And so, you know, I think a lot of people do misunderstand what lubrication means. And, you know, and they think that women are like these rainforests who just produce and produce and produce and we should be super wet and ready and all of that. And even though... I think people understand it. Like I get a boner, like a straight guy. I get a boner. That's proof you're turning me on. You're dripping wet. That's proof I'm turning you on. But if a third of all women don't have difficulty lubricating, it sounds like this particular caller has a lot of difficulty and has never... Uh, you know, been able to lubricate uh, enough, produce enough natural lubricant to have intercourse comfortably. But, you know, you can see why the guy's like, what? What am I doing wrong? Yeah, she should be able to have it comfortably, right? I mean, erections and lube aren't litmus tests for, for how aroused someone is. And I think people really make mistakes when they look at a partner's body in that way. You know, rather than just sort of like talking to them and hearing them out. And if somebody has like chronically needed lubrication for whatever reason, I mean, maybe that's just how her body works. Maybe she's on hormonal birth control. A lot of women are. And for a lot of the like the birth control pills that are in the market these days, they tend to be really low in estrogen, which is associated with really low lubrication. So mm-hmm. um, that doesn't help people. So whatever the reason is, the fact is she needs more lubrication in order to have, you know, the kind of sex that she wants to have, for it to be comfortable and pleasurable and all of that. And he needs to understand that. And, you know, I think it's, you know, the tricky question is, how do you get a particular person to understand that? I mean, some people, it's that easy. You just say, look, this is what I need, and they get it. Um, Other people have so many insecurities and issues to get over, it's going to take them a little bit longer or more conversation for it to get there. But hopefully most people can get there. Maybe the best weapon is her just, you know, sometimes guys have big trouble when they realize that they can't just stick their penis in their girlfriend's vagina and make her come until you tell them that's the case with 75% of women. 75% of women can't get off from vaginal intercourse alone. They need additional clitoral stimulation, perhaps even during vaginal penetration to get off. But you can't, it's just not like dick vagina equals lady orgasm magic. And just hearing that sets some guys at ease and gets them off. And over this insecurity, maybe all he needs to hear is this is the case with a third of all women where they need a, a little it's extra the case lube a third boost. of all women. You know, it's, it's super common, even young women. In fact, it's even more common among very young women, probably because they're so excited about sex and jumping into sex that they're jumping into it before their vaginas had enough time to really make enough. And that could be the case here too. You know, I mean, sometimes it can take 10, 12, 15 minutes to really produce enough lubrication, but people like sex and they want to jump into it in like 30 seconds or three minutes or five minutes. And sometimes that's just not long enough. And, you know, some guys have like super big penises that all the lubrication in the world that a vagina can make isn't going to be enough. So there's lots of different ways to appeal to his ego if that's what she wants to do. But ultimately, he's just got to sort of understand that this is one of the conditions she needs for good sex. I have to say that was really heterosexist of you, the way you phrased that. There are some guys in the world with really big penises who aren't interested in vaginal lubrication at all because they're having sex with dudes. Just got to say that, Debbie. 
Yeah, but this was about women and men, her <laughs> vagina, I was and just... anuses don't lubricate. So that is a whole nother story. And mouth makes saliva, so that's a whole nother thing. I'm just channeling all the sensitive. You want to throw me a vagina penis question? We're going to talk about vaginas <laughs> and penises. Well, the, quickly though, before we move on from this call, and, and you've agreed to stay for another. Thanks. Um, the one thing she shouldn't do is have uncomfortable, painful intercourse with her boyfriend without lubrication to spare his feelings. No, absolutely not. And it does sound like that's what she's doing. It does sound like that's what she's doing. It sounds like sometimes she doesn't use the lubricant so as not to hurt his fifis. And she should stop doing that. Yeah, I mean, I hear that far too often. One of my friends years ago when she was 26, she said that she, you know, she was sort of dating and hooking up with random guys. And so she felt like she had to have this conversation a lot because guys were being offended and, and sort of taking it personally that she wanted to use lube. And she was like, I just kind of want to make a website that's like, I'm 26 and I need lube.com, you know, <laughs> and, and just to sort of have something for like young women, because she was like, you know, there's nothing weird about this. And for her, you know, she noted the difference between for her own body, even between being like, 19, where she felt like she didn't really need boob very often at all, and even being like sort of mid-20s, you know, and and for any range of reasons that can happen. But the point is, if you need something for good sex, you've got to speak out and be okay about that. And if you can't have that thing that you need for good sex with the person that you're with, then you're never going to have good sex with that person. You need to find some other person to have sex with. True. Hi, I'm a 33-year-old straight woman who's had her fair share of sexual partners. Um, my problem is I have an extremely difficult time having an orgasm with someone else and even sometimes by myself. I know that the majority of women have a difficult time having an orgasm using only vaginal penetration, and I definitely fall into this category, but I worry that I have an issue that's bigger than that. It seems like the only way I can reliably orgasm is by using my vibrator, um, and it's not even just enough to use the vibrator. It has to be on a high speed. It must be placed on a very specific place on my clit and applied with a very specific kind of pressure and motion, um, which I alone have mastered. Uh, I've tried to show my partners how to use the vibrator on me in this way, but inevitably they don't hit the right spot or they don't have the right pressure. And in order to get off, I end up having to take the vibrator and do it myself. But currently, I have this wonderful partner who is game for whatever it is I need. He just wants me to get off. He doesn't care how. He's just happy to do it. Um, and while he's fine with anything we do, I really personally would love to have him be able to get me off without me grabbing the vibrator to use it on myself. That would make sex much more enjoyable for me um, if he was able to get me off. He loves giving oral sex, but for some reason I can't seem to come that way, even though he's really good at it. He knows what he's doing. It feels good. I just can't get off on it. Um, a little bit of background info. I should say that I started masturbating with a vibrator in middle school, so it's been years. And over the years, I've become more and more reliant on vibrators to get me off. And sometimes I even have a hard time getting off manually stimulating myself. So, And sometimes it's even difficult using a vibrator on myself. Um, it takes a while. So my question is, have I done some sort of damage to myself in overusing vibrators? And is there a way I can backtrack in order to be able to come without using a vibrator on myself? So I, I've talked a lot about death grip masturbation for men where guys, they just grip, they choke the chick. They grip their penises so firmly in a way that no throat, no ass and no vagina is ever going to grip their dicks. That then when they move on to partnered sex after five years or ten years of jerking off like that, they have a really difficult time climaxing because a throat can't strangle your dick, right? 
Right. Do women have the same issue? Can a woman become vibrator dependent on this one thing a vibrator can do that a human other person can't do, vibrate at that velocity? You know, the thing is you can become dependent on anything, right? And and I don't really like the word dependent as much as like, um, you know, you just become like sort of used to something or mostly attuned to that. Because, you know, if you, for example, discover that maybe you've had orgasms from oral sex for a lot of your sexually active life and then you start learning as a woman that you can have them during intercourse and you and it feels better to you so that you only do that for five years or something, you know, it may be harder to go back and have an orgasm another way. It doesn't mean you can't. And so, you know, the thing is we just get, we get, some people might get lazy, some people get focused, some people just get excited about some way that they have pleasure or orgasms and they go to that thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you, your body becomes super used to that, but you can retrain your body for the vast majority of cases. You can retrain your body to respond to other forms of stimulation again. So when she says, when she asks, have I damaged myself? The answer is no, no, no you have not damaged yourself. No. And she can backtrack. You can backtrack. You can change things up at any point. If you want. Now, I've told guys who've, who I've helped through the death grip problem that what they need to do is stop masturbating like that and they can masturbate in other ways, get a flashlight, use a much lighter grip, use lubricant or have partnered sex if you're having partnered sex. And if you don't come, you know, you're masturbating, you're trying a lighter touch, you're using a flashlight and you're not getting there, you don't get to come. Don't like try a flashlight or try a different masturbatory technique for 10 minutes and then give up and start – killing your dick again, beating it to death, you have to just let your dick realize it's this way or no way. And I've had guys I've helped, like they get breakthroughs. Like they realize they can retrain their dicks, but it takes some time and effort and some not getting off. Is that the same kind of approach you would use or suggest to this woman if she wants to? Yeah, I mean, it's one approach. It is one. I mean, sometimes people will go ahead and let themselves have an orgasm at some point. But, you know, if you decide to not let yourself have one, I mean, you do have the added benefit of having more and more tension you know, build up over time that then hopefully will sort of release in an orgasm at some point from this other type of stimulation. I think, you know, one of the things I often tell women about this when they're, because some women are skeptical. They think, you know, it's this has been going on for years. I only have, you know, I only sort of come this one way. I really don't believe I can do this. Maybe other women can retrain themselves, but I can't. But, you know, think of the extreme cases here, right? So we have normal life development stuff where women have, major hormonal shifts from like pregnancy, from giving birth, from menopause, and they still can readjust how they have orgasms after those. Now take super extreme things like women who have their genitals cut as part of female genital circumcision or women who have their genitals cut from vulvar surgeries for for vulvar cancer, for example. You know, even in those situations, women can learn to have orgasms from a new type of stimulation, even if they've had part or all of their clitoris removed. And if those women can do that, then I think, you know, the vast majority of the rest of us can too. Any specific recommendations for this particular woman? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's similar to what you're saying with guys. I mean, you can try, you know, if you normally use lube, then you don't use lube another time. If you normally use a high-powered vibrator, you could even get a multi-speed um, dial vibrator and start just backing off the intensity a little bit. You could ditch the vibrator and sort of just go without anything for a week to sort of, you know, have that tension build up and try using your hands. You can mm-hmm. try, you know, oral sex intercourse. She talked about oral sex taking too long, 
But, you know, part of this made me think about how much she just has sort of too much pressure on herself or too much impatience. Um, because it doesn't sound like, you know, other ways are impossible, but they're what in her mind feel like they're too long. And the mindset's going to be important. There are some women out there who can only come using a vibrator and it's better to come using a vibrator than not come at all. Like at what point do you go, okay, this is the way my body works and I'm just going to accept that? I mean, you can, you totally can say that, but you know, I also think, and, and you know, I mean, I am so pro vibrator. I've done some <laughs> research on vibrators. I have vibrators around the house, around the office, you know, for professional reasons, but you know, they're sort of everywhere in my life. Right. So it's not like I'm anti-vibrator. But sometimes when I hear people say, I can only come using a vibrator, well, some people can. They've explored. They know that's how their body works. But some people say that, and when you really start talking to them, you find that they've only given, you know, hand masturbation maybe 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. And the fact of the matter is that when you talk to many, many women who maybe for years tried hand masturbation because they were too young to have bought a vibrator or too nervous to go out and get one, you often find that in the beginning months or years that it took them 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour or longer to have orgasms, but they did. And it got shorter over time. So it's not, I think that for some people, they just haven't maybe explored or given their body, you know, enough time. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. You know, the good news is vibrators are widely available now, and then you can maybe have an orgasm in five minutes or one minute. But I don't think it's the case that as many women can only orgasm from vibrators as sometimes they think they can. And you don't think that she's permanently damaged herself and she can backtrack. And backtrack may be too loaded a word. She can expand her repertoire, her orgasmic re- – you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, is it possible? You know, I suppose it's possible. But, you know, I've heard, you know, even gynecologists I know who have had women who have had extreme damage and they have not really damaged themselves permanently. So – I would be extremely surprised if she's damaged herself in any way. She's still having orgasms. She's still masturbating. So she clearly hasn't, you know, inflicted so much trauma on herself that that is getting in the way of any of that. So she can most likely expand her repertoire and have orgasms in other ways if she wants to. If she doesn't, that's cool too. There's nothing wrong with using a really intense vibrator. Before we let you go, Debbie, tell us about Make Sex Normal, your Tumblr campaign, which people can see at makesexnormal.tumblr.com. Yeah, so Make Sex Normal is a new project, but the whole idea is really just to make sex sort of, you know, an everyday part of life to kind of integrate it into life. And so that's it's about concrete ways, like reading sex books on airplanes, you know, wearing sex-positive T-shirts, talking to people you know about sex, um, you know, in appropriate ways, right, not illegal things at the workplace, but you know, things that you can do just to sort of bring it into the conversation so that we all sort of maybe eventually lose our cultural baggage over all the tough stuff about sex. And you ta- you gave a speech at TEDx Bloomington about it that kind of launched it? I did. Yeah, I gave a talk in March, um, the week that I launched the Make Sex Normal campaign. And, uh, and it was fun. And we gave out um, ovary and testicle pins from iHeartGuts so that people could go out that day and make sex normal by wearing ovaries or testicles on their clothes. And, um, yeah. I never feel more normal than when I go out wearing testicles on my clothes. Totally. And people were taking pictures and sending them in of just sort of like, you know, bringing sex out into the world and bodies out into the world. And and also when I say sex, you know, it's not just like sex, sex. It's also just sort of like bodies and puberty and genitals and all of that. And when I say normal, in some ways I almost mean the opposite of normal, right? Like no, normal is this massive umbrella 
I don't really subscribe to ideas of there being, you know, one way or five ways that people have sex or enjoy sex. It's more about making it just an everyday part of life. Yeah, you're acknowledging that, that it's a part of all of our lives and we shouldn't have to pretend that it isn't and we shouldn't be shocked when we see evidence that other people are sexual beings just as we are. Exactly. Makesexnormal.tumblr.com. It's a really great project. Check it out. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie Herbenick is a research scientist at Indiana University, sexual health educator at the Kinsey Institute, author of many books. Her newest is Sex Made Easy. You should read it. You should read all of her books. And I thank you so much, Debbie, for jumping on the phone with us again today. Thanks. Take care. Uh, hi, Dan. My name is John, and uh, I am a gay male. This really isn't kind of a sex question. It's more about gay adoption, and I know that you and your partner have adopted I'm having a really hard time finding an agency that will work with me. I have actually had a couple of agencies turn me down because I told them that I'm gay and I'm in a in a partnered relationship and it's I just wasn't expecting that. Um I'm trying to go through a state agency because I work with children that have a lot of needs. Um children who have actually are in the foster care system and I'm I had no idea the state that I live in was so backwards and I'm finding it very difficult to get the necessary licensing to become uh, an adoptive parent. And I was wondering, is this common? And just kind of lost here. I just, I, I, I was just on the phone with an agency and they literally turned me down and, oh God, it just really sucks. And she was like, you know, we're a Christian organization, so I don't think we're the organization for you. And I was like, really? <laughs> that doesn't sound very Christian at all. That doesn't sound very Christian at all. Isn't it sad how often you can say that about something a Christian organization has just said? Not all Christian organizations but so many of them, particularly the ones that go to great lengths to communicate to you that they are a Christian organization. All too often you can say then about whatever they've just said, that doesn't sound very Christian at all, Christian organization. Gay adoption, adoptions by same-sex couples, illegal in seven states and there are quote unquote – Barriers to LGBT people trying to do adoptions or foster care in 39 states. So you really need to ask yourself, where am I? And get on Wikipedia, which is a great rundown on LGBT civil rights and a great rundown on adoption rights in each state to figure out what you're legally permitted to do. I looked up your state based on your area code of your phone number and in your state, it is not illegal for same-sex couples to adopt. Uh, but state law requires adoption agencies to give primary consideration to adoptive placement with a married man and a woman. Agencies may place a child with a legally single person if it is in the child's best interest or if there is not a married couple available. So you might, by trying to adopt via agencies in your state, be at a real disadvantage. But you can adopt through agencies in other states. If you and your partner are curious, you should start contacting agencies in California, agencies in Washington State, agencies in Oregon, the agency that Terry and I adopted through Open Adoption and Family Services, um, which does open adoptions, which is a terrific option for same-sex couples I think. Uh, at an open adoption, that's where the birth mother chooses the family the child is placed with. Um, they don't discriminate against same-sex couples. They make all different kinds of families available to the women doing adoptions through that agency uh, and allow them to choose who they want for their child. And you can learn more about open adoption and that agency at openadopt.org. Someone is trying to do something about the, the current state of affairs. There is a bill on adoption foster parenting by same-sex couples that is being introduced once again into the Senate. 
Kirsten Gillibrand of New York and Pete Stark of California are introducing this bill in the Senate and it would prohibit programs, quoting from HuffPo, that receive federal funding from discriminating against potential foster and adoptive families based on sexual orientation, gender identity or marital status. There are 400,000 children in the foster care system in the United States who do not have homes. There are 100,000 of those there are 100,000 additional children who are ready to be adopted, waiting for placement that they cannot find homes for. And all the research, all the studies show that same-sex couples are just as qualified, just as fit, just as loving. The outcomes are no different for children raised by same-sex couples and children raised by opposite-sex couples. And yet these children are denied families because of prejudice. That's it, pure and simple, because of prejudice. The National Executive Director of PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, Jody M. Huckabee, gave this statement. I'm just going to read it in its entirety because it's pretty kick-ass. Why should more than 400,000 children remain in foster care, 100,000 eligible for adoption when they could receive this support from loving, capable and qualified lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender parents? Huckabee said, this is truly discrimination at its worst, hurtful to the people who are being denied the opportunity to become parents and harmful to the thousands of vulnerable children being denied the opportunity of stable, loving, permanent homes. Hopefully this bill will pass. Fingers crossed. Unlikely to get through the House as currently constituted. Children will continue to suffer so long as seven states can ban adoptions by same-sex couples or gay people and 39 states can – Fuck with gay people and same-sex couples who are trying to adopt. The cavalry is coming but it may come later. It may take a while for the cavalry to arrive. In the interim, you guys, you need to think about where you are and the agencies you're contacting and look to other states. You do not have to reside in the state where your agency is located. So contact agencies in other states, in sane states, in free states. And I bet you'll have better luck finding an agency that'll work with you guys. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old bisexual female and a two-year-old monogamish marriage to a 29-year-old straight male. For the duration of our seven-year relationship, I've always been open to him being with other women. He separately and we together have had sex or sexual correspondence with several other women without any conflict or problems. However, there have never been any feelings until now. My husband is involved with a woman that he has deep feelings for. He's only known her for a short while, and their relationship is long distance, but he feels very strongly about her. And while I'm surprised about it, I believe him when he says he loves her. It's not a, while, a word that he throws around lightly. I've never had a problem sharing his dick, but now that I'm sharing his heart for the first time, I'm having serious emotional problems, anxiety, and depression-like symptoms ever since. I discovered this a few days ago. I want this relationship to end. Now, frankly, even though I don't really know her well enough to, I'm starting to harbor really hateful feelings for her because I see her as a threat to our relationship. But I don't feel like I'm allowed to revoke his dating privileges. I believe he loves this woman, and I know that coming between them would just push him away from me, and this is something he's told me explicitly. In the short term, my biggest problem is that they are meeting for the first time this weekend, and they will be staying in our apartment I I need to find a way to mask the daggers in my eyes while she's here, and I think I can do that, but after this visit, he will have a better idea of where he wants this relationship to go, and all signs point to it being more serious. I don't know what to do with that circumstance, because I really don't think that I can handle it. What's your take? 
I think you need to stand up for yourself. I think you need to call this visit off. You need to lay down the law. Uh, this is your home too. He can't just move some other woman into the house for a weekend. That he is engaging in a, the sort of relationship that was not explicitly or even implicitly permitted in the, your open relationship agreement. He's up. He's taking your open relationship, which was working, and he is just of his own accord without running it by you upgrading that or depending on your POV, downgrading that to a poly relationship where he gets to not just fuck around with other people, where he gets to not just share his dick but share his heart. So this thing, this one piece of his anatomy that was exclusively yours, the relationship chunk, the heart, his heart is now not exclusively yours. You're now going to have to share that with other women and that was not something that you agreed to. That was something that he's just imposing on you. And then it sounds like manipulating you uh, into submitting to this is this is just creepy Mormon shit at the end of the day. What's going on here? This isn't open. This isn't egalitarian. This is unfucking fair. It is emotionally abusive, and you need to stand up for yourself, even at the risk of forcing him to choose between you and her. That's scary. He may be manipulating you with that fear that he's. Put you in a position where you can't stand up to him because you're afraid if you say, look, her or me, he might say her and the blush of new love, new relationship energy, the poly folks call it, might tempt him to say her. And I'm sorry. You say that love is not a word he throws around lightly, doesn't know her well, hasn't known her for long and it's a long distance relationship and he's calling it love. That's throwing the word love around very lightly, very lightly in fucking deed. You say it's this weekend coming that, that this woman is arriving on her visit. If I were you, I would insist that he get her a fucking hotel room or find her a place to stay or go to her if he must instead of invading your space. You already feel insecure and threatened that she exists and that he feels this way about her. Having this go on in your house, that's asking too much and you should insist that it not happen, that the visit be called off until you guys work through this violation. You have been violated. That's why you feel the way you do. You said, The tone of your voice, the tremble in your voice, you sound like someone who has been violated because you have been violated. You are in a fine and functional and happy and mutually rewarding open relationship and suddenly it is no longer the relationship that you agreed to. It is not what you agreed to. It's not even something you can recognize. Suddenly it's Poly. Whether you like it or not, it's poly. And him imposing that on you without your consent, without a discussion, is a violation. A violation of you, your person, your feelings, your marriage. And you need to start describing it as such to him. And you need to put your fucking foot down. If this is going to end the marriage, if this is going to blow up your relationship, it's going to blow up your relationship. So why not now? Why not force the argument, force the fight? Now, instead of suffering through this bullshit and then having the fight later, because it's going to make you miserable. You don't sound like someone who wants to share the heart part. I don't, I don't think you'll be that person after this weekend either. So have the fight now and see where he stands now. See where you stand now. Hi, Dan. I'm a female in my mid-20s living in the Northeast, and I have a question about a friend who is coming up. She's a good friend of mine from college with whom I still maintain a relationship with on a semi-regular basis. She recently moved to a different area of the country to pursue a professional opportunity, 
and I took a trip to visit her several months ago. Yesterday, I heard from her boyfriend, who's also a friend of mine, that they broke up, and she told him it's because she's gay. They've been dating for the past two and a half years. She told him she thought she was bi several months ago, but now she told him she is, in fact, gay. I haven't heard from her in several months, but I will be talking to her as soon as we have plans to meet up when she visits home this summer. We also worked together on a professional project recently, and I will be talking to her soon about the results of that as well. She hasn't told me yet that she's gay, so what should I do if or when she tells me? Should I say her ex told me, or should I act like I don't know anything? I don't want to deceive my friend, and I don't know if she told her ex to keep the details of their breakup private. I'm good friends with both of them, so I don't want to jeopardize either relationship. Well, when your friend comes out to her, I think the first thing you should say is, there will be cake at your wedding, won't there be? You really have to draw a hard line. You have to really put your foot down with those lesbians and their cake-free weddings. So now that she's a dyke, just make sure that she understands that you're not going to her future lesbian wedding if there ain't fucking cake. Listen, you know what you know and you can't not know what you do know. So when she comes out to you, uh, if you want to tell her that, uh, yeah, I knew that. Your, your ex-boyfriend told me that and it kind of put me in this awkward position. And saying that isn't really shouldn't threaten your relationship with the ex or your relationship with your friend. It might threaten your friend's relationship with her ex, which is already over. You didn't violate anything. And I don't think you should have to pretend to not know what you do know. So when she tells you, and hopefully it'll be soon, say, that's wonderful. That's great. Um, I'm so glad for you. I'm glad you're happy now. Uh, you know, I, I kind of knew that. And, and maybe it's shitty to like rat out her friend, rat out her ex, rat out your friend, her ex. But if she wants him to keep this quiet, if she wants to come out to her friends and colleagues and coworkers at her own pace and he's running around telling people, she might need to know that. She might want to know that. So I think you should let her know that. And of course, the, the rule about cake at weddings, very important cake, not even cupcakes, fucking cake, sheet cake, a lot of it. You may have noticed listening to the show today that there were no calls from straight men. That's really rare. That's weird. Usually there's calls from straight men. We've had shows where all the calls were from straight guys. Uh, it's kind of true though that straight guys are less likely to write to an advice columnist with a question or call a show like this with a question for the same reason straight guys are less likely to ask anybody for directions because they know everything and they don't need any help. Uh, but I get more calls and more letters from straight guys than the average member of the advice industrial complex. But not this week. But I hate it when we do a show with, with no straight guys, with no straight male perspective, with no straight male questions, with no straight voice. So uh, since no straight guys called me this week, I'm going to call a straight guy. I'm going to call my favorite straight guy. We're going to get my older brother Billy on the phone to get the straight male perspective. So joining me by phone uh, from Chicago is my older brother, Billy, who is, last time I asked, straight. You're still straight, Billy. Don't, don't sell me out. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a choice that you can just change. When did you choose to be straight? When, do you remember that conscious decision where you were looking at dick and pussy and thought, I think I'll go eat the pussy? No, I think it was about redheads. <laughs> I, there are no male redheads. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I remember very distinctly a, a male redhead named Alfie Kirst in our neighborhood when we were kids who I had a huge crush on. I have no memory of him, but very firm memories of uh, Petty Collins. Less firm now that you're in your 50s, I bet. But <laughs> Well, there's pills for that, so it's okay. That's true. So uh, you, there's no straight guys on the show today because you know how straight guys are. They don't, call, they don't ask for advice. They don't call advice shows as often as straight women. They pretend to be women when they write it. Oh, that's true. That does sometimes happen. But <laughs> So what are straight guys thinking about this week? Since we didn't hear from any, you, you, have, you have this awesome response. Well, you speak for all straight men everywhere right now. What's on your mind? Straight oh, man. Baseball. 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 The NBA playoffs. 
NHL playoffs. I mean, I'm a straight guy, right? It's supposed to be sports. We call the NBA playoffs the gay offs now because. Jason no, his Collins. team isn't in it, so it doesn't. <laughs> what are what's on the mind of straight guys? Well, um, I don't know because I can only speak for myself as an individual. Well, that's funny because I speak for all LGBT people everywhere. So I. I even the tea people? I thought you hated those tea people. No, I don't hate those tea people. I love oh, the you tea hate the, people. You hate the tea party. I hate the tea party, the tea baggers. Uh, but the, the, the LGBT party. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I can speak for all LGBT people, you can speak for all straight men. Go. Well, I would like to say that all straight men are, in, are, are against kidnapping women and holding them in your house in Cleveland. Um, With the exception of men, the straight men who kidnapped those women and held them in their house in Cleveland. Except for that guy. But I don't think he's really straight because real straight guys don't have to actually lock women up. Women come beating down our doors. We don't have to lock them in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's such a sad and disturbing story. Of course, if that was a yeah. gay dude who'd kidnapped three teenage boys, we would be hearing from right-wing Christians about how this proved that all gay people everywhere were sick and twisted sexual deviants who couldn't be trusted with children or marriage right. or anything else. And but we, because we, you know, you can extrapolate from Jeffrey Dahmer something about all gay people everywhere. You can extrapolate nothing, according to the Christian right nutbags, about all straight men everywhere from the actions of this one straight guy. But Jeffrey Dahmer tells us everything we need to know about all gay men. Right. But I can tell you why that is. And why this is, is actually an area, an area of my scholarly expertise. It's something I call the logic of prejudice. And the way it works is if you're a member of a dominant group, you're always an individual. And if you're a member of a marginal group, you're always one of them. Um, individuals who are discriminated against, are um, their individuality is erased in favor of their group identity, whereas any individual from the dominant group who does anything is just a crazy individual. Mm-hmm. So like Susan Smith, who drowned her sons, um, back in the Carolinas someplace, back in the 90s, remember this? Mm-hmm. Um, she had a boyfriend who didn't like the fact she had kids. She drowned her kids. She told the cops that there had been a black guy who carjacked her, and there was a, a dentikit sketch that looked remarkably like Samuel L. Jackson. And, you know, they searched all over the South because, you know, what do you expect from one of them? Who would carjack, you know, with two kids? So then they find out that she drowned the kids, and nobody said, well, white women, what do you expect from one of them? Mm-hmm. Susan Smith was a crazy individual, not a member representative of a group. Unless you look at her as a member of a lower class situation, then she's marginal, and you say, "Well, wh- wh- what do you expect from trailer trash?" So similarly, anytime, a, anytime a gay man does something that you want to tar the whole group with, you can do it because it's a marginal group. As long as you're in the dominant group, you are an individual doing whatever you do as an individual. That's why Timothy McVeigh can be the worst American terrorist in history, but he's just one guy. While you know the, the the 9-11 bombers and the guys in Boston are representative of their whole group because they're marginal. Well, thank you for that. I, I don't think that's what all straight men are thinking right now because I don't think all straight men are as smart as my straight older brother Billy because that was very <laughs> insightful. I talk to a lot of straight guys and they're not all as insightful right. as you, I have to say. No, no, of course not. Um, and that's uh, other than that, I'm thinking about riding my bike some more. And summer's coming. That's barbecue and beer season. That's a straight guy thing, right? Yeah, it's true. You know, quickly before we let you go, usually I, I get a lot more calls from from men and straight men than most other, I think, you know, advice shows do, and I get a lot more letters at Savage Love from straight guys than advice other advice columnists do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this week we got no calls from straight guys. So just will you give me a testimonial here? Should straight guys be calling and asking for your fag younger brother's advice? Straight guys should be asking for my fag younger brother's advice if for no other reason than he wants to present a, a fair and balanced picture of America's sex problems. And I think at least half of those American sex problems come from straight guys. At least. At least. At least. If at not least more. Half. Thank you very much for that, Billy. But, you know, for asking straight guys to call and ask me their sex questions. But I, yeah. but I have to ask – 
there you are, a straight guy with the yeah. home phone number of you know a sex advice professional, your younger brother, and yet you never call me with sex questions. Why is that? Well, because if this is a secret that I don't know that your fans need to know, but you are actually totally squeamish about all the stuff you're completely happy to talk about the rest of the world with when it's your actual family in the room. If I were to discuss the things I enjoy doing with my sweetheart of 11 plus years in anything resembling the detail your readers and callers usually bring, you would run screaming from the room with your fingers in your ears going la, 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 la. So it's just in deference to my delicate sensibilities that you do not ask me. So otherwise you would call me every day to ask me where your sweetheart's clitoris is. I would get that call from you once a week. Hey, Dan, it's Bill. I can't find my sweetheart's clitoris. <laughs> if I needed that advice, I think I would be man enough to ask you for it. <laughs> Good to know. But I appreciate your sensitivity to my squeamishness, and it's true. Yeah, it is. You are, you are a little baby. You've got this magic circle of, of the family is inside, and you don't think about that. And then there's the rest of the freaking world where you think about it all the time. And I like to respect your boundaries because there are so few of them. You didn't respect my boundaries when we were children. You didn't deserve it when you were children. You were a famous sex advice comment, and you were my little pain-in-the-ass brother. Well, when I first came out and you would come into the kitchen when we still lived at, at mom's house and you would lean over my bowl of cereal and then shake, <laughs> rub your beard to shake out loose stuff and say I was eating pussy last night as if like little pussy flakes were falling in my cornflakes. That, that was kind of traumatic. People wonder why I'm so squeamish about cunnilingus. That's it because cunnilingus chips on my cornflakes squeamish. <laughs> made me. Now I'm fucking Yoda. Look what it does to me when I think about it. <laughs> but you used to watch gay porn with your boyfriend in the living room on the TV. I'd walk in thinking it was some kind of equestrian event before I realized those are humans. You know, you didn't really care about my boundaries either. So there. That was just retaliation. You, it, you went first. Mom, uh, Billy mom hit me with cuddling his flakes first. <laughs> Thanks so much, Billy. Glad to help. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey, Dan, I just listened to podcast number 341, and as a lesbian who has sucked a whole lot of strap-on dick, I have some advice for the woman who called in and wanted her boyfriend or a woman to suck her dick and didn't have one. The first thing that she needs to do is get one that goes inside of her because she'll feel a lot more sensation that way. And the second thing is she should know is women can totally come from blowjobs given the strap-ons. It's totally possible. I've seen it happen. And the third thing is that her boyfriend should use the hand at the base trick that you say for real dicks because that way it can push inside her and against her clit a lot better. So hope she has fun. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, everyone who subscribed to the new Savage Love Cast Magnum. We appreciate your patronage. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk We will all be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Love Cast Magnum. Thanks for downloading.